At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. October 17 edition of the PFT PM podcast, day after the end of week six. Going to run through some things, then we got some awards, and then I'm going to answer some questions. Depending upon the quality of the questions that I get in response to the tweet that I posted just before starting this, asking for questions. Let's start with the Monday night game, because I don't think that we, we properly appreciate Marcus Mariota. I know that because not nearly enough people watched Marcus Mariota and the Titans take on Jacoby Brissett and the Colts. It was one of the lowest Monday night football ratings ever. Not a surprise as the number of ESPN subscribers drops and drops and drops some more. It's going to be harder to generate the kind of rating that would have been generated when ESPN actually had more subscribers. But still, 6.0, second lowest since ESPN took over Monday night football. That's not good for anybody. And as I've said, I wrote it, talked about it on PFT Live, it's incumbent on the NFL to figure out what's wrong and to figure out how to fix it. Last year, the election had a lot to do with it. This year, what is it? Is it the anthem issue? If so, fix it. Is it disintermediation of the audience? Fancy term for a lot of people doing a lot of different things and a lot of different devices and platforms vying for their time. If so, fix it. Make the NFL more available. Make it easily available. Do a deal with Netflix. If people are watching Netflix all the time, then put the NFL on Netflix. Whatever it is, there are people with significant equity interests in the sport, executives with significant paychecks from the sport who need to fix it. And you can't just shrug, and you can't just spin. That's what the league office likes to do. They're very crafty and creative about taking the ratings and finding a way to characterize them that makes them sound better than they are or makes them sound as good as they possibly can be. How about let's just improve the ratings? How about let's come up with ways to market the sport? Let's come up with ways to get people to watch the games. Let's see some creativity in how we draw people in the United States back to the sport. They're very interested in getting as many people in other countries watching football I think they're taking for granted the U.S. audience. But also it helps if they would get this this anthem issue solved. Every time I say that, I'm concerned that someone's going to think that I'm not appropriately supportive of the issues that gave rise to the anthem controversy. I am. And the reality is the only opportunity that players have during that three-hour window of a football game to make their voices known, their concerns heard, is during the anthem. So carve out a separate platform and hope that they will agree to stand. And that seems to be what's going on Tuesday. Now, I'm taping this a little earlier than usual. We do have a statement from the NFL and the NFL Players Association, which means that the pre-meeting, the meeting that, that precedes the effort by the owners to come up with a solution, the NFL-NFLPA meeting with some players 
representatives of the union and 10 or 11 owners, not Jerry Jones. That meeting has happened. Here's the statement. Today, owners and players had a productive meeting focused on how we can work together to promote positive social change and address inequality in our communities. NFL executive and owners joined NFLPA executives and player leaders to review and discuss plans to utilize our platform to promote equality and effectuate positive change. We agreed that these are common issues and pledged to meet again to continue this work together. As we said last week, everyone who is part of our NFL community has a tremendous respect for our country, our flag, our anthem, and our military. In the best American tradition, we are coming together to find common ground and commit to the hard work required for positive change. Hardly sounds like it's over, but hopefully enough to placate the players. Hopefully enough to get the players who were there to go back to their teammates and say, we should stand for the anthem. We we should stand for the anthem. Now, we'll see what happens when the owners get together. There's no specific proposal on the agenda. They've made it very clear that there isn't going to be a mandate or an edict. I think the idea is to give the players the kind of platform that will cause them to say, hey, we like this, and thank you for this, and now we'll stand. And we'll see if that works. But this idea of a mandate is not going to work. It won't work. You start telling players they must do something and they naturally are going to do the opposite. That's human nature. Somebody tries to tell me what to do. I, I, I can't get past the fact that they're trying to tell me what to do. Even if it's good for me, I have a hard time because they're telling me what to do. So, NFL, I'm telling you what to do. Fix the anthem issue. Whatever it takes, fix it. And edicts and mandates aren't going to fix it. you got to find a way, team by team, player by player, you got to spot the guys who are doing it, and you better figure out how to get them to choose to stand and hope this goes away. And it is starting to subside. It is. The president has not said anything about it. The vice president, since last week's stunt, I mean, the 49ers were in D.C. this weekend. If they wanted to further politicize the issue, you got 49ers in the nation's capital and seven of them took a knee for the anthem. They didn't make a big deal out of it. So hopefully, hopefully the sport can move forward. And to the extent that it's harming the sport, hopefully that harm will end. All right. Monday night, one of the reasons maybe fewer people watch the game is because of the anthem issue. I don't know. Maybe, you know, there have been so many good primetime games this year. Maybe some people just decided to take a night off. This is really the first game that we've encountered in a while, maybe since Rams 49ers, which ended up being not a game you wanted to take off, that you can say, oh, you know what, we got Raiders Chiefs coming up, and next week it's Washington and Philadelphia on Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Games, the Panthers, or Panthers, the, the Patriots and the Falcons. Yeah, I'm just going to sit this one out. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to watch the Yankees. I'm sure that had a factor in it, the Yankees on national TV or cable or wherever it was. Either way, the ratings were down, and we didn't get to appreciate, well, I did, what Marcus Mariota can do when he's not able to run like he usually does. And kudos to the team for getting him to play within his limitations. Kudos for Mariota to having the presence of mind. He had a play in the second half where 
He could have taken off and run the ball. He slid at the line of scrimmage. Didn't want to push it. Didn't want to strain the hamstring and set back his recovery. Meanwhile, transitioned to a pocket passer and had over 300 passing yards, including what would become the game winner. When it was 22-all, uncorked the long pass, Titans win. And then this one fascinated me because it allowed the Titans to cover the Derrick Henry touchdown run that was not subject to replay review. See, the standard on replay review, clear and obvious evidence to overturn the ruling on the field. But to trigger a replay review, basically if it's close, you have to decide if you're the league office, if you're Al Riveron, if you're the replay official, you have to decide, is it clear and obvious that the call is right? Yeah, Derrick Henry, two different feet. One on the 44 of Tennessee, one on the 49, where it looked like his left foot may have stepped out of bounds. They didn't slow it down. They didn't do a full-blown replay review. My understanding is that there is discretion in some situations where the game is essentially over. And if Henry had been out of bounds, the game's still essentially over. That they won't do it. But you got to be cognizant of the betting line. The betting line and the over-under. If that score affects either one, you better do it. Especially with the NFL putting a team in Las Vegas soon. And especially with legalized gambling becoming more and more of an inevitability. You need to do it because that touchdown allowed the Tennessee Titans to cover. And we really didn't hear much about it. I think one of the reasons we didn't hear much about it, there was nothing said by ESPN. And this isn't just a slap at Sean McDonough and John Gruden, who were watching the game live and should have seen it and said, well, he may have stepped out of bounds. Maybe they should take a closer look at it. There are eyes all over that game. There are people watching monitors in the truck. There are there are people spotting in the booth. There's so much going on. So many people there. It's amazing no one saw it. And if anyone saw it, it's amazing no one said anything. Power rankings, before we get to the awards, power rankings... This is the first time I can remember that the number one team lost and didn't move. But you know what? Eight of the top ten teams, I think, lost. Crazy. We really don't know who the great teams are. And it really doesn't matter who they are now because we still got 11 weeks of football. There was a tweet from the NFL account. 24.1 million followers. Sunday night. 2017 playoff outlook. Who's in and who's still in the hunt? And the easy answer is no one's in. And pretty much everyone's still in the hunt. Except for the Browns and 49ers, everyone's still in the hunt. What the hell are you doing, NFL, asking this question at week six? I know you got to put something, but surely you have something better to choose from on a Sunday night to your 24.1 million followers than an inane, asinine question like who's in the playoffs and who's still in the hunt? No one and everyone, except the 49ers and the Browns. I'm not even willing to put the Giants on that list of being out. They won a game. More on the Giants coming up when we do the awards. Now, before that, a quick update on Ezekiel Elliott. There's a hearing set for today, New York, the federal court that is presiding over the lawsuit the NFL filed after Ezekiel followed, filed his lawsuit in Texas. The NFL's lawsuit is pending. 
the NFLPA and Elliott have filed a motion for preliminary injunction, temporary restraining order, the same dance that already happened in Texas on the turf the NFL selected. But here's the thing to watch. And so far in this case, and also I think in the Brady case, every federal judge that touched that case cast a vote along party lines of the president who nominated that judge. And that's why presidents pick judges to nominate them. President is a Republican. President will be picking judges who have a track record of supporting and or issuing rulings that advance the politics, the ideologies, the philosophies supported by Republicans. Same thing for Democrats. It's not this. I'm not picking on Republicans here. Democratic presidents tend to nominate judges who will, based upon their politics, be more likely to issue rulings that favor Democratic ideals. And in an employment case, and trust me, I handled many of them when I was practicing law. If you were representing an employee, you wanted a judge, a federal judge who was nominated by a Democratic president. If you were representing an employer, you wanted a judge who was nominated by a Republican president. Because of all the issues out there, when it comes down to employment litigation and the relationship between labor and management, the Republican side is pro-management. The Democratic side is pro-labor. That's the way it's always been and probably the way it will always be. And every judge in the end, people say, well, well, wait a minute. How, how does that apply here? It's a different case. Ezekiel Elliott makes far more money than the usual employee. And, and he allegedly beat up his girlfriend. And, and doesn't that count for something? Ultimately, it's the principles. Because you apply the same principles in all employment cases, whether the guy is making $5 million a year or $5 an hour, not that that's even legal anymore, but you get my point. Those principles apply. And the principles you apply in this case are going to be relevant in future cases. So it comes down to management versus labor. And the judge in the New York case was nominated by President Obama, so I will not be surprised if Elliott wins an injunction the NFL immediately appeals to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit based upon the precedent in the Tom Brady case, which the NFL thinks gives it a hammer that it didn't have two years ago when Brady got an injunction and the NFL didn't immediately appeal. And then we'll see what the composition of the three-judge panel is on the Second Circuit. If it's two judges nominated by Republican presidents, at least two, it can be all three. NFL is more likely to win. And if it's at least two judges nominated by Democratic presidents, then NFLPA more likely to win. As to the question of whether or not the suspension will be served this year before the litigation ends. So that's where Ezekiel Elliott is. All right, time for some awards, and there will not be an award for Ezekiel Elliott this week because the Cowboys didn't play. Offensive player of the week this week, a guy that many doubted, I did not, for the record, I never doubted him. I always believed Adrian Peterson still had it, and I've said many times, do not bet against Adrian Peterson. Never. Never, ever. Adrian Peterson. 28, no, 26 carries for 134 yards and two touchdowns, 5.2 yards per carry, with a supposedly bad offensive line blocking for him. And he showed up Wednesday. I was skeptical that he'd have an immediate impact for the Cardinals because he showed up Wednesday. Trade happened last Tuesday, but got to work Wednesday. 
in one game, he had nearly as many carries as he had in four total games with the Saints. One game, one start, 26, 134, 5.2, a 27-yard touchdown, and two scores. Also one fumble recovered by the Cardinals, but that's one of the realities of Adrian Peterson. While fighting for the extra yards, he, from time to time, will lose the ball. And apparently, Larry Fitzgerald has said that if Adrian Peterson had been there from the get-go and the Cardinals passed on him in 2007, Fitzgerald is convinced he'd have had a Super Bowl ring by now. And you know what? Maybe he would have. Although David Johnson, pretty good for the Cardinals, he's injured. Peterson isn't. They're going to ride him until he is. He's going to get what he wanted. 20 to 30 carries a game every week. For now, this week, Offensive Player of the Week. He's back. Hopefully the NFC recognizes he's back and makes him the Offensive Player of the Week. Congratulations, Adrian Peterson. Old man at 32, now wearing 23, getting it done. Far younger than Adrian Peterson, the Defensive Player of the Week, Janoris Jenkins. I look for overall performance plus that impact, that moment that turns a game, and it was Jenkins' pick six. It's hard to give him a ton of credit for it. It wasn't a great athletic play. Trevor Simeon threw it, and he jumped the route, and off he went. But that turned the game. That made it feel like it was over. That made it feel like the Giants were going to win this one. Jenkins also was involved in stripping the ball from Demarius Thomas in the fourth quarter while the Broncos were trying to make something happen. So Janoris Jenkins... Somebody stepped up and made a play. Multiple guys stepped up and made plays. Credit to the Giants for getting focused and shame on the Broncos for coming out of their bye week as flat as they were. I mentioned that danger of overlooking your post-bye opponent in conjunction with Washington, and I didn't think it would be a factor with Denver. I still thought that the Broncos were good enough to show up and beat the Giants, even if their attitude is all we have to do is show up and beat the Giants. But let that be a lesson to every other team out there that thinks all it has to do is show up and win. No, 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 no. And it's on the coach to make sure that the players are focused. And Vance Joseph, in only his fifth NFL game, he failed. Pass fail, and he failed. In the challenge of getting the team ready for all opponents under all circumstances, and it's easy to think, we're 3-1, and we're so much better than this team, we just have to show up and we're going to win. We, we blew out the Cowboys on this field, 42-17. to 17, And the Cowboys blew out the Giants. So we're going to blow out the Giants even worse. And we have another example of a round robin. Cowboys beat the Giants. Broncos beat the Cowboys. And now Giants beat the Broncos in the circle of life. The NFL circle of life is complete. Speaking of coaches, Coach of the Week, I'm giving this one to Mike Zimmer of the Vikings. His team is 4-2. and two. Look at everything they've been through this year, and they're 4-2. and two. And I specifically give it to Zimmer because, and I don't know how much of a role he specifically had in ensuring that they had Case Keenum around, but the Packers have unproven backups to Aaron Rodgers, and look at what they're going to be dealing with going forward. The Vikings opted to be patient in free agency. They got Case Keenum for $2 million. And they've used him repeatedly, and it's working. Sam Bradford or Teddy Bridgewater, that was the big question before the season. After week one, all of a sudden, Case Keenum was thrust into it. And so far, so good. Three and two. Not bad for Case Keenum. I'm giving him the win 
against the Bears, even though he didn't get the start. Bradford was bad. The Vikings took a little longer than maybe they should have to make the change, but Keenum got it done. So kudos to Zimmer for finding a way to make it work without Dalvin Cook, without Sam Bradford, without Teddy Bridgewater, and on Sunday without Stephon Diggs. And as Zimmer said, and he wasn't looking for credit, I mean, this is a reality. All of a sudden, everything changes. You're ready for Aaron Rodgers, and in comes Brett Hundley. Now you got to figure out what they're going to do with Brett Hundley that maybe they weren't going to do. So, Zimmer, Vikings, 4-2, and two, and in position to get through the first half of the season at 6-2. and two. They've got the Ravens coming to town, and then they play the Browns in London. And this is, I don't know that I want to call it an opportunity. This, this is mandatory. If the Vikings want to be taken seriously this year, the Vikings have to win both of these games, period. And they moved to 6-2 and two through 8. And oh my goodness. This is a team that, in a wide open NFC, this is a team that maybe needs to be reckoned with. Although I will say this. The fact that the teams are all jumbled up, it favors the Patriots and the Seahawks. The teams led by the coaches who always make their franchises better on the fly. And right now, if I had a chance to get a mulligan on my Super Bowl picks, I'd say... Patriots, Seahawks, and really, I already had Patriots. It would be Seahawks in place of the Packers. Right now, that that's where it's leaning. Rookie of the week, get used to this one. We got to give it to Deshaun Watson. Three more touchdown passes. I know one of them was a quick little hot potato flip. Basically a handoff. Still, three more touchdown passes. He leads the league. He's the first rookie ever, I think, to have three touchdown passes in three straight games. The most touchdown passes by any rookie in six games. Against the Browns, the clock is ticking in Cleveland. The bye week is coming. Bye is going to be the operative term. Somebody's going to hear that word, I think. I don't know, but I think after the game in London. So Deshaun Watson, get used to it. That meaningless nothing, no, no trophies, no piece of paper, just satisfaction. You're going to have a whole room full of satisfaction from PFT, PM. Deshaun Watson, you're the rookie of the week, I think for the second time in the three weeks that we've done this. Play of the week. And look, there's no there's no real guideline here really for any of these. But it's the play that I found the most fascinating for whatever reason. Not the most impactful, not the most relevant to a game. But this week... How can it not be Austin Safarian Jenkins and his touchdown that became a touchback? Because, number one, it brings a ton of attention to the the most unfair rule in football. You fumble the ball at the two, it goes out at the one, you keep possession. You fumble the ball at the two, it goes out just on the other side of the goal line, the defense has the ball at the 20. Unfair. I don't care what argument you cobble together, unfair. The defense has done nothing to recover the ball. And I know you may say, well, but they, they knocked out the fumble. Well, sometimes that doesn't even happen. Sometimes the guy just fumbles it on his own. You've done nothing. At least add a codicil to the rule that says the, the defensive player must at least touch the football at some point immediately prior to the fumble or while the ball is loose. You have to at least put your hand on it or a knee or a foot or a helmet or something to get possession of it. The other thing that it exposed 
and I've been letting the dust settle on this one before I chime in, because initially I accepted the NFL's position that there was clear and obvious evidence that Austin Safarian Jenkins lost control of the ball before crossing the plane of the goal line. And there was clear and obvious evidence that he failed to recover the ball, to repossess the ball before he was out of bounds. But you know what? And this is thanks to Dean Blandino's explanation. You can't say there's clear and obvious evidence that he failed to regain possession. And that's the thing you have to keep in mind when you're doing replay review. It's not, what do I think I see? It's, you take the ruling. Whatever the ruling is, there must be clear and obvious evidence that the other thing happened. In this case, is there clear and obvious evidence that Austin Safarian Jenkins failed to recover the ball, get a knee or two feet down before he was out? And you can't say it. You cannot say that there is clear and obvious evidence that he failed. So the ruling should have been upheld. And look, Al Riveron has doubled down. He needs to. What else is he going to say? Oh, you know what? I got this one wrong. See, he doesn't have a guy like a Dean Blandino who can come in and say where the officials got it wrong. And back in the day when the referee made the final determination at the game site, you could have a... Mike Pereira, Dean Blandino, Carl Johnson in the interim, do a video, a phone call, whatever, after the fact, and say, well, the referee here supplied his own judgment. The referee did not apply the standard. And you know what? I recall a game involving the Jaguars. Remember Mike Sims Walker? Back when it seemed like the question of what is or isn't a catch was coming up on a regular basis, this was even before the Calvin Johnson thing that really got people invested in the catch rule. I recall a game where Al Riveron overturned a ruling of a catch or ruling of not a catch. Whatever it was, he overturned it, and he shouldn't have. He supplied his own judgment. You don't supply your own judgment. Clear and obvious. Was it clearly and obviously wrong? So two big takeaways from that. And despite what Al Riveron has said, let's see if he applies that going forward. Game of the week was Eagles-Panthers on Thursday night. Enough said. 4-1 and one versus 4-1. and one. Great win by the Eagles. The Panthers showed some, some signs of, of flaws, work that needs to be done. We're going to watch the film and we're going to fix it. Here's one way to fix it. When you're driving the ball down the field and you're down five points with three minutes left and you have first and ten on the 41, don't throw three straight deep passes. That's a way to fix it. Whoever's fault it was. I get the feeling that it was the fault of the play caller, Mike Shula. Whoever's fault. You can't do that. Keep moving the ball. Don't start throwing 30 yards down the field three straight times. I guess the thinking is, well, the first time they didn't expect it. The second time they really didn't expect it. And the third time they they would have had to think we're crazy. So that's the perfect time to catch them napping. Didn't work. Joke's on you. You're the ones who are crazy. You are crazy. They, they, they were right. You're crazy to do it. They'd be crazy to throw it deep again. Hey, hey, they, they, they guessed right. We were crazy. Win of the week. And I, I say this because there's been, and this is going to happen anytime the Falcons blow a big lead. We're going to say 28-3. to We're going to say 2012 NFC Championship game when they blew a big lead. The Falcons of the past five, six years are all about blowing leads. 
at some point we got to say, how about giving some credit to the team that, that came back and won? Down 17 nothing and didn't give up. That's the win of the week this year. The Dolphins. At 2-2, two and two, all the adversity they faced, from Ryan Tannehill to Hurricane Irma to relocating for a week in L.A. to Lawrence Timmons going AWOL to calls for Jay Cutler to be benched to Chris Forster in that ridiculous video of him snorting something to losing your offensive line coach because that's what Forster's job was. And now down 17 nothing, and did not give up. Kept going. I love to see that kind of grit in the face of adversity. And we have to give the Falcon, the Falcon, the Dolphin, the Falcons. The Falcons get no credit for win of the week because they didn't win. The Dolphins get the credit for the win of the week because they won. And they defeated the Atlanta Falcons. And now the Dolphins are 3-2. and two. And the Dolphins are in that cluster of teams. There, there are so many teams. They're just hovering around 500. And we're getting close to Halloween. And there's going to be a team that's at or around 500 in Thanksgiving, late November. They're going to find the gas pedal, and off they go. And they're going to get lucky that they're not going to suffer a major injury, because that is a big part of this. Luck necessary to avoid injury and the ability to replace injured players, because injuries are inevitable. The luck is you don't lose your starting quarterback, like the Packers did. All right, those are the awards of the week. To summarize, Adrian Peterson of the Cardinals. It's weird to say that. Offensive Player of the Week, Janoris Jenkins of the Giants. Defensive Player of the Week, Mike Zimmer, the Vikings Coach of the Week. Rookie of the Week, Deshaun Watson. Hashtag Shocker. Play of the Week, Austin Safarian Jenkins. Touchdown that became a touchback. Game of the Week, Eagles Panthers. Win of the Week, Dolphins over the Falcons. Now, on the way out the door here, I have posted a tweet asking for questions. And I will answer some of the questions that you have asked. And I haven't even looked at these before, so God only knows what I'm getting myself into. What do the Buccaneers have to do to get their playoffs hope back on track other than win, obviously? Well, yeah, winning? Yeah, winning. Win. They need more consistency offensively and defensively. I think there are justifiable concerns about Jameis Winston's shoulder. I saw some suggestions in the Tampa media that maybe it was some sort of a soft benching, that maybe he could have kept playing, but Dirk Cutter wanted to give him a little bit of a break. I mean, here's the problem with the Buccaneers. They don't have very patient ownership. And the expectations were playoffs this year. And right now they're 2-3. and three. And Dirk Cutter needs to be worried. Because Dirk Cutter has that job because of the fact that ownership isn't patient. And they have shown a lack of patience. And at Buffalo, against a rested Bills team, becomes critical now. You fall to two and four, then you got Carolina coming to town, then you go to New Orleans, the Saints all of a sudden, getting it done both sides of the ball. That's a tough run. I mean, I'm looking at this at two and three, with at Buffalo, Panthers, at New Orleans, and the Jets coming up. They could be three and six, the break. And then at Atlanta, at Green Bay, not as daunting as it was before Sunday. Lions and Falcons back-to-back at Carolina and New Orleans. See, that's the thing. They, they are in one of the toughest divisions in football, and they have yet to play a single divisional game. They will play their first divisional game October 29th. Buccaneers, they got a lot of work to do. And if they end up in the basement when this is all said and done, they may be working on a new coach and maybe working on a new general manager. 
Next question, is Kansas City the real deal or with Alex Smith and Andy Reid come back down to earth down the stretch? I Look, I think Kansas City is the real deal, but they're not blowing people away. They haven't had a dominant win. They've got an offense that's good enough to win more games than it loses, but they also are susceptible to losing games, especially at home, which they should never lose at home. That atmosphere, when they had the Monday night game a couple of weeks ago against Washington, they should never lose at home. But... They struggled to beat the Eagles there. They struggled to beat Washington there. They lost to Pittsburgh. They have Denver on a Monday night. Three high-profile games coming up for the Chiefs before their bye week. At Oakland Thursday night, at home against Denver on a Monday night, and then at Dallas late afternoon, CBS. The former Dallas Texans going back to Texas to take on the Dallas Cowboys. And there's a great book. God, who wrote the book? I think he still works for the Ravens website. He used to be with CSN. Mid-Atlantic, 10-gallon war. I read it. It's been a few years. It's the whole AFL versus NFL. Back when the NFL was still growing, the AFL was getting started. They put the Texans in Dallas, the Cowboys in Dallas, and eventually, after a couple of years, the Texans cried uncle and became the Kansas City Chiefs. Great, great book if you're a football nerd. And just great business insight as to how it all worked and how different it was in 1960. So anyway, that... Rivalry every four years. That's coming up. Renewal, November 9, and then the bye week for the Chiefs. So they've got three tough games that they got to get through, and they could be 5-4 and four at the break. They could be. They could win every game that they have left on the schedule, and they could lose every game that they have remaining. Should the NFL outlaw field turf help? Here we go. Chris, Is this Chris Sims? Is this a Chris Sims fandom account? Heard a few doctors and former players, including Chris Sims, say Fournette would have torn ACL on it. Now, it looked more like a, a lower leg, not a knee thing for Fournette. But I don't know if it's field turf. I don't know what it is. Because field turf is so much better than the old green cement. I remember in my younger days, we'd go play touch football because you dare not play tackle football on that green cement. And if you hit it at all and slid, it ripped your skin up. You had to have like every every ounce of exposed skin covered. And the next day, even if you didn't get injured, you couldn't get out of bed from the pounding. There's no give. And I think there's more give, but not as much as maybe there needs to be. I think what happens is these elite athletic bodies, these machines... They are so capable of changing direction quickly, cutting, slashing, that the ligaments, the cartilage, the bones from time to time just say, nope, can't do it. Sorry, can't do it. And I don't know what you do. Whatever you do, if you're the NFL, you invest in ensuring that you have the best possible. Isn't it amazing when you think how much money they pay players to not invest in having the best possible field? And even the dome stadiums, Can't you come up with something where you have grass that can be grown? Get hothouse lights and water systems in the domes or have the big tray that slides out. Whatever it costs, pay it. Ensure that you have a pristine field, a pristine grass field. How in the world do you not do that? That's amazing to me. And this reinforces the idea, even given the amount of money that gets invested in players, there is a certain element that the owners view the players as their property. But you know what? I mean, if you if you spend a ton of money on a car, you don't drive it over glass. It's amazing. All right. 
Uh, if Philadelphia beats Washington Monday night and Zeke is suspended, can you, quote, call the division, end quote? Yes. Yes, you can. Yes. If the Eagles win Monday night against Washington and complete the sweep and move to 6-1, and one, and if the Cowboys don't have Ezekiel Elliott for six games, it's over. And guess what? I called it back in May. I was at an NBC event in New York City in May, and they asked me, who do I like in the NFC East? And I said, I like the Eagles, and they booed me. They would have booed me anyway. But I said, I like the Eagles. They were 7-9 and nine last year. They showed signs of improvement. And we're so caught up in the Cowboys and Washington and the Giants, and everybody's handing it to the Giants. I like the Eagles. And I really like the Eagles now. It's one of my few preseason predictions that I wouldn't change if I had the chance to do it. Our good friend Ham Spam, thank you, ma'am. What do we need to know about the Kaepernick lawsuit? First of all, it's not a lawsuit. I don't know that that matters. It's a grievance. Now, my understanding is that a grievance was chosen over the lawsuit because it's an expedited process and it should be easier to get the things that they are looking for. And that's the big question. Let me just talk about this for a minute. I think I talked about it yesterday in the PFTM podcast, but if I don't remember, maybe you don't remember either. Evidence of collusion. Where do you find it? I did talk about this. You find it on phones. You find it in email accounts. You find evidence of coordination. And this isn't about finding evidence that someone said, we don't want that guy because he took a knee for the anthem. This isn't about the First Amendment. This isn't about a violation of the CBA as it relates to taking action against someone because of activities that they aren't supposed to be disciplined for. This is about coordination among teams. What kind of text messages are out there by and between football executives, by and between owners? I could put together in 45 minutes or less a list of document requests, different categories, because when you practice law and you get into discovery, you have to identify the documents you want from the other side's files. And when you are going against an organization, you know they have records. So you come up with categories. And it's, it's, it's an exercise in creativity and exclusivity. You want to get everything you can in there. Everything, I have to describe it just right because you know what they're going to do. They're going to take every description you make and they're going to they're going to make it narrow and they're going to be obstructionist. And they're going to say, well, you didn't ask for that. You asked for this. And well, we didn't have to give you that. We're giving you this. That's where the fight's going to be here. Finding the smoking gun, if there is one. And I think that Mark Garagos, the lawyer for Colin Kaepernick, believes based upon the circumstances that there is a smoking gun. That's what you need to know. And also, I know there's some skepticism about the ability to overturn the CBA. I need to write something more about this. I, I think that it's not out of the question that they can get the CBA terminated prematurely. At some point, the NFLPA is going to have to get involved, I think. I don't think... Kaepernick's camp thinks that, but I think the safest course is to get the NFLPA involved, get the NFLPA to file a proceeding aimed at invalidating the CBA. But why wouldn't the, why wouldn't the union want to? Why wouldn't you want to terminate it prematurely? Now, see, the problem is if you terminate it prematurely, that creates the impression you don't like the current deal. But I don't think they do like the current deal. I think they think they could do a better deal. And there's only one way to find out, terminate and get back to the table. Who's going to the Super Bowl from the AFC? I say the Patriots. Funny, is Kaepernick still available? Yeah, he's, he's still available. Are, are, uh, why are you such a liberal hack? I don't know. I just am. I don't know why. You know, it's so funny. Anybody who says anything that conflicts in any way with stringent conservative ideology gets called a liberal. I'm, I'm a libertarian. 
my attitude is I'll leave you alone. You leave me alone. Government, everything. Just leave me alone. I, I won't bother you and you don't bother me. The main thing I have an agenda against is BS. And when I see BS, I call BS. So, and the hack thing, there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, I've been doing this 16 years as of November 1. So I haven't changed yet. I don't anticipate changing. And there's really not more I can say. So on that note, I won't say anything else. We'll do this again tomorrow with the Seinfeld themed awards, unless I'm decide that I'm bored with that, which is entirely possible. Maybe we'll have more information about what's happening with the Anthem issue. Maybe we'll have more to talk about on Ezekiel Elliott. Maybe we'll have some injury news coming out of practices on Wednesday. But either way, and just so you remember what the PFTPM podcast is, it's your companion for the end of the day. Commuting home. And I try to keep it to 30, 35 minutes. I, I didn't start the timer today. I think I'm probably a little bit over. Sorry. Hey, anytime I go over the amount of time you have to listen, just stop listening. But thank you for listening. Thank you for your patronage at ProFootballTalk.com, PFT Live Wednesday morning, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, NBC Sports Radio, and from 7 to 9 a.m. on NBCSN. We will talk to you again soon. Enjoy your Tuesday evening, and have a great Wednesday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.